two foundations of Pentecost dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Invite His presence to be with us. Father, we're thankful for the privilege that we have to come before You this morning. Lord, I pray that You would be with us during this time together. As we study Your Word, look into Your Word. I pray that You would open our hearts and minds to hear what You would have to say to us. Lord, that we might better understand Your ways and who You are and to know Your will for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We began, or we, have, we are into now, a series on First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, uh, talking about being established in truth. This morning, our lesson is from First Thessalonians chapter three. First Thessalonians chapter three. The Bible says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it has come to pass. And ye know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have a good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. There are a number of things that we find here in chapter 3 that we have alluded to throughout the study of First uh, Thessalonians, as we have begun, and one of the things that we have mentioned that uh, uh, we find here in chapter three, we have talked about in 
talking about the purpose of the writing of the letter to the Thessalonians, that it was after that Paul had sent Timothy to Thessalonica, and then uh, when Timothy came back with the report to Paul, that was the occasion for this letter. And so uh, we have alluded to that and we've referenced that before, but uh, this is the scriptural basis where we take that from. Here in chapter 3, Paul tells us that. And so even though uh, as we have uh, prior to this, when we've discussed the fact that Timothy had come from Thessalonica and and given a report to the Apostle Paul when we've referenced the fact that that took place, uh, we've just said this happened uh, without having cited uh, where the Scripture tells it. But here is where the Scripture tells us that Timothy went from Paul to, to establish the church at Thessalonica. And of course, then verses 11 and 12 we have read a number of times as we have started this series, because they are the key verses from uh, for this book in the Bible. In the first two chapters, Paul explains how the church was born, and how uh, the church was formed, and uh, they were nurtured as infants in Christ, and how they came to Christ. But now... He is going to begin with the next step of their maturity and how the church was to stand. He knew that soul winning was only part of the commission that God gave him or gave him. Uh, these new believers also needed to be taught and established in their faith. Uh, much of the ministry of the apostles was devoted to grounding new converts in the faith. And this is a ministry that is a necessary role today, just as much as it was in the first century. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, in giving the Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Part of the Great Commission is not just making converts but it is teaching and instructing them in the ways of God. And sometimes if we are not careful, we bring babies to Christ. We bring people in. We get new converts. They, they are babes in Christ. And then we kind of leave them to fend for themselves to become established and mature Christians. Sometimes we think that if we just tell them, well, if you'll get up here and seek God in the altar, that that's going to be enough. 
there are some things that they need to become established in. And I've said it before, but we have often made the mistake of challenging our young people to go to Bible school to get a firm foundation. Bible school should build upon a firm foundation. It is the local church's responsibility to build a firm foundation under the new converts. Our young people need to have a firm foundation at the local level. Because God doesn't call everybody to go to Bible school. So, there are some things that the Apostle Paul begins to deal with here. And, and not only does the Apostle Paul deal with it here, but we see that the Apostle Paul found it necessary when he could not go. And we were, uh, in chapter 2 we read that Paul had desired to go to the Thessalonians uh, and, and to visit them to help and establish, but he had been hindered by Satan. So since Paul couldn't go, he sent his co-worker Timothy to help to establish them and ground them in the faith. He understood they needed more than a salvation experience. They needed to go on to perfection. They needed to press toward the mark for the prize of high calling in Christ Jesus. And so he sends Timothy to them. And Timothy comes back and Paul realizes, but there are still some things they need some more teaching. And one of the first things he says and he begins to talk to them about is because here they are, young converts, new to the faith, and all of a sudden they are facing adversity. And so Paul begins to tell them there is a promise of persecution to the life of the Christian. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 and said, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In verse 4 of chapter 3 here we read, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it has come to pass and ye know. Paul says, I told you when I was there before I left Thessalonica that you will have tribulation in the Christian life. And he said, now you understand what I was telling you. As a matter of fact, the verb that is used here when he says, we told you before, is a, has the idea of repetition. And so what Paul was saying is, we kept telling you, over and over, you're going to suffer persecution. How many times do we tell new converts, hey, life is going to get rough for you when you give it to Jesus Christ. When you surrender to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to fight some battles that you haven't had to fight before. We want to tell everybody, if you've got problems, come to Jesus. 
and all of your problems are going to go away. But Paul said, come to Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus, and guess what? When you do that, you're going to have problems. People are going to hate you. People are going to despise you. People are going to dislike you. They're not going to want to hear what you have to say. But Paul did not withhold the truth. He said, we kept telling you, you're going to suffer persecution. John Wesley, on one occasion in his diary, wondered whether or not he had failed to preach the gospel because he had gone several days without anybody throwing rotten eggs at him. then he is exhorting the saints. He's told them all that will live in God, live in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, he's, he's repeated this, but now he is saying, and this was part of the reason that he sent Timothy, but now he is reiterating it and he's saying, Having done all to stand, stand. Stand in the face of persecution. Yes, persecution is hard. Yes, it is going to be difficult. But we have to stand firm in our faith in spite of persecution. There's going to be a lot of things that will come against us, but we must stand for the truth. I can't, some time ago I, I, I read a book and, and I, I shared it and I, I don't even remember the name of the book or the author right now. But it was a man who had suffered persecution in China and been imprisoned and, and gone through all kinds of persecution. And said one of the things that he was not prepared for was after he was freed and eventually he left China and, and was in different countries of the world and eventually came to the United States and Canada and said one of the things that he found that was difficult to deal with was the uh, resentment and the, the infighting that happened among the church. And he said there was a persecution that came upon the church that was just as real in the United States and in, in the Western world. Though it was not a physical persecution, there was a mental persecution. For not, do you know, sometimes, and sometimes it may be well-meaning, sometimes it may not be, but there is, there is a peer pressure among people to say the right things and do the right things. And sometimes we can become more concerned about keeping a good reputation within the church than we are about speaking the truth. Sometimes 
We want to have a reputation as being a godly person. And keep that reputation. And because there is a certain thing that is taught or a certain way things are taught, we will keep silent or there have been people that have preached things that they did not believe because that is what was expected of them rather than preaching the truth of God's Word. And I wish I could say that was something that happened in other denominations, in other movements. But it happens right among our own sometimes. So he exhorts them to stand for the truth, no matter what they face. Then I find it is interesting, because later in this chapter, we're going to be talking about the fact that Paul prays for the church at Thessalonica. At Thessalonica. He prays for the Thessalonians. And, and in most of his epistles, you'll find the Apostle Paul praying for the church. We find throughout Scripture, <coughs> Jesus praying, the other apostles praying. We, we, there's a number of recorded prayers. And to my knowledge, and I might be wrong, but to my knowledge, there is not a prayer that says, deliver us from persecution. Paul doesn't pray that the Thessalonians be delivered from persecution. He prays that they will be kept. He prays that they'll stand in the face of opposition. Sometimes our prayer and our desire is, Lord, grant us peace. And, 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 and we are to pray for that. But we want, we want you know, really... When you look at what happens in the church, when you look throughout church history, one of the best things that happens to the church is when the church comes under persecution. Because persecution purifies the church. Persecution spreads the church. Persecution causes the church to grow and to mature. And then we must understand that persecution is a spiritual battle. And the way you win a spiritual battle is with spiritual weapons. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 10, Verses 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. He goes on there in chapter 6 to define the armor. But the weapon that we use in spiritual warfare is the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. We must use the Word of God in the battle against evil and against spiritual wickedness. We have to understand that as the church has become under attack and Christianity has come under attack more and more even here in the United States that it is a spiritual battle. You say, but it's a political battle. There's a lot of things that we have had that, that we have fought politically. And I'm not against we need we need to take a right position on on, on politics and we need to to be involved in the politics of our nation. But ultimately, it's not a battle of politics. It is a spiritual warfare. And we will not win the battle if we strictly try to fight it on a political level. If we try to argue and persuade people without using and founding our... our, our Everything upon the Word of God, we are fighting a losing battle. Because there has to be a basis for what we believe. I was reading this morning about the Roman Empire. And there was a uh, one of the things that was said about the Romans is that they were very tolerant to the beliefs of other people. One of the things that they began to be known for was their tolerance with the exception of Christianity. Tolerance was okay as long as you tolerated everything else, but when the Christians came along and said there's only one God and only one King Jesus Christ, Roman, the Roman government couldn't put up with that. And they begin to, to persecute the Christians. And we see the same thing happening in our nation today. People saying, everything, we, tolerance is key. You know, everybody can live and let live. And everybody, whatever you want to believe. Unless you get up and say there's only one way to God and that's through Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden they, they turn on you. So, Paul tells them that they will suffer persecution. And at the point that he is writing the letter, he is telling them, you will suffer persecution, but you've already found that out because you've already began to suffer persecution. From the very time of their conversion almost then we find that the saints were strengthened and those at Thessalonica were strengthened by others 
verse 2, Paul tells us that he sent Timothy, a brother in Christ and a minister of God, a fellow laborer, to establish and to comfort them concerning the faith. He says, first of all, I sent Timothy to you to establish you. That word establish means to strengthen, to make strong. In classical Greek literature, this word was used generally in a literal sense of putting a buttress on a building to hold it up, to strengthen it. And so he says, I sent Timothy. Did you know part of our calling as Christians is to strengthen one another? We are to build up one another. We need to establish one another. Help to strengthen one another. Especially those that are weak in the faith. Those that are new in the faith. We need to strengthen their faith. I have known of people, and I'm sure you have too, that a new convert would come to Jesus Christ and they would begin to lay aside things and start lay, and, and, and begin to, to conform into the image of Jesus Christ and then somebody would go to them and say, well, you know, all of that's not really necessary. Or somebody would go to them, the last thing in the world you need to do is go to a new Christian and start talking to them about the problems in the church. We are to strengthen them in the faith. And if we are not careful, a lot of times it is like a newborn baby that is just laid aside and say, well, if you want a bottle of milk, get up and the milk's there in the refrigerator, help yourself. No, a newborn baby doesn't do that. And yet, sometimes we leave them to themselves to figure it out. It is not an easy job to nurture a new convert. And it is getting more difficult because there was a time, and we've, we've talked about this before, there was a time when people would come to Jesus Christ, and they had a basic knowledge of the Bible. But in the age that we live in, people come to Jesus Christ with no knowledge of the Scripture at all. They have no basis, no foundation in the Word of God and in truth. And it is strange and foreign to them. And they have to be taught. They need this scripture explained to them. They need an understanding of the Word of God.
then he came to comfort them. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 2, said, Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Later on in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verse 14, he tells them, Now we exhort you, brethren, and warn them that are unruly. Then he says, Comfort the feeble-minded. He's not talking about just giving comfort to those that aren't as smart as you are. He's talking about those that aren't as strong in the faith. Comfort them. Help them. That doesn't mean soothe them necessarily, though that's what we often think. But this word comfort is a word that we use as one of the names of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. And we've, we've heard so often that it comes from words that mean to, to walk along beside or to cast along beside. We are to come along beside the new converts. The Holy Ghost is the comfort, comes along beside the Christian and He tells him of Jesus Christ. And just as the Holy Ghost comes along beside us and points us to Jesus Christ, we are called as mature believers in Christ to come along beside a new Christian and point them to Jesus Christ. In one sense, and don't misunderstand and take this too far, but in one sense we're to do the same work that the Holy Ghost does. Because the Holy Ghost comes to walk along beside us, and as a mature believer that is filled with the Holy Ghost, we are to come along beside a new Christian and point them back to Jesus Christ. A new Christian who has not been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit we need to come along beside them and encourage them and point them to Jesus Christ and encourage them that they wait and tarry for the Spirit so that He will be with them and speak to them about Jesus Christ. Ultimately, everything points back to Jesus Christ. Not only, and because everything points us back to Jesus Christ, and because we become, we, we go along beside the new believers and help them and support them and strengthen them and, and, and encourage them, and it's all about Jesus. And so Paul says, since it's all about Jesus, it's not about my ministry. Matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 1, we talk about the fact that this is one of the epistles of the Apostle Paul. And we talk about how that Paul wrote this letter. But if you look at the signature in chapter 1 verse 1, it says, Paul and, Sylva and uh, Sylvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. Paul wasn't doing this to build his own reputation, to build his own ministry. Paul included Timothy and Sylvanus as though, or, or Silas as though they were part of the ministry team. They were just as important 
as he was. So we are laborers together with God. So as we strengthen one another, we must avoid the temptation to try to make it as though it's my work or I am so but it is the body of Christ working together to build the kingdom of God. And then Paul begins to pray for the Thessalonians. Beginning in verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God, Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. First of all, he gives thanksgiving for the church and for their salvation. Not because they responded to his message, but because they responded to the word of God. Then I find it interesting that in his prayer for them, he is praying that he might be able to spend time with them. That he might be able to have fellowship with them. That he might see their face again. Now there's a reason that he wants to have fellowship with them. And sometimes we mistake the idea of fellowship. We get together and we have a fellowship and we talk about everything under the sun other than Jesus Christ. We talk about everything other than the Word of God. But when we have time of fellowship with the saints, it should be times when we strengthen one another in the faith. Then he says, praying that he might see their face and might perfect that which is lacking in their faith. That doesn't mean to make them perfect without mistake, without fault. But it means to bring them to maturity. To help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs to be our goal as a church, not only to have converts, but to bring those converts to maturity in Christ Jesus. To strengthen them in the faith so that they in turn 
can reach out to others and bring them to the faith. And then in verse 12 we find that part of his prayer is that they might abound in love one toward another and toward all men. And then he concludes by saying to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying for their sanctification. Here once again, as in each chapter, he refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, He that hath this hope purifieth himself. And so, Paul is praying for their sanctification in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In light of the fact that the Lord is coming soon. He is praying that they might become holy. That they might be sanctified. So it is, as we see the time approaching, the return of the Lord, we should seek to purify our hearts. That we be holy as He is holy that we sanctify our lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul said, Wherefore, We would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. Paul was not able to return to the Thessalonians to strengthen them. But he felt compelled that they needed strengthening. And so since he couldn't go, he sent Timothy. And then when Timothy returned, he felt there was more that was needed. So Paul wrote a letter. We need to use whatever means is at our disposal 
to strengthen one another. How often do we use social media or whatever as a means of expressing our complaints, as a means of tearing down, as a means of destroying? When we could be using the tools at our disposal to strengthen them that are weak, to help the immature believers become more mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we cannot go to them in one way, we can reach out in another. Whether that be through using media, whether that be through speaking to them in person, whether that be spending time on our knees in prayer. And probably ideally all of the above. But we need to strengthen one another to bring our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to perfection, to maturity in Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, we need to strengthen one another. Lord, we need to make disciples to teach them the ways of Jesus Christ. God, I've faltered with my words this morning in not expressing the thought the way I fully wanted and hoped to. So Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost would just touch our hearts this morning with the truth of Your Word and make up for my lack. God, You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our exaltation. You're worthy of our honor, O Lord. For You are the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Do You be honor and glory forever and ever. Lord, You're the exalted One, the King of kings, the way, the truth, the life. Thank you, Jesus. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com.